This is CliffCentral.com. There you go. What time does the podcast start? It's Friday morning. It's between something nine September 2019, 17. Welcome. Pelesa says to me, um, are you doing the show by yourself today? I'm like, are you fucking mad? You've got to have guests. That's our pot. Choose a chair, sit wherever you like. We thought we'd start with a nice Irish-American theme because we have Zimbabwean on the show. Welcome to the Just Now Comedy Podcast. Pelesa's leaving. Um, Dan, you're on, you're on mic number three. There we go. Thank you. So I would never, ever do the show alone. Here's the deal. It's normally called the Just Now Comedy Podcast, and then we talk to Eric Janssen, to my left, who's not here. Um, <laughs> Eric Janssen got a real job. He's got a job with an actual company where he's the voice of a car. Um, that's quite original. They've never done that, where a voice speaks through a car. It's never been done before. Right. Huh? Huh? David Hasselhoff Turbo flashbacks. Boost. Yeah, so he's, no, he's yeah, the voice yeah. of a car. Um, Okay, Pelissa, are we good? Does Dan sound lacquer? And then, obviously, Brandon, um, we've got a handsome guy with a beard and tattoos who sits there, and it's basically just to up our, our listenership. By one. Yeah. There's, there are a couple of girls who like him. They like his tattoos and his beard, so we keep him for the show. But I think he's realized that that's why we had him on the show, and he ducked. So Brandon's not here. Eric's not here. It's just me, Dave Levinson, on the Just Now Comedy podcast. And then I um, got very desperate and phoned an old friend of mine. Who wasn't available? Then I found another one. Then I found another one, and that's exactly how you get Dan Nickel on the show. So how are you, Dan? I'm very well. Thank you for having me, David. This You're is, not well. Well, I'm uh, I'm chock a block full of antibiotics, uh, but otherwise I'm good. I'm on the David Levinson podcast. This is the new low point of my career. <laughs> this is you, you keep saying that, but you know what's going to it's going to turn. You're going to say it. they're going to speak to you at one of your glorious things. When when did your career take a turn? What was my big step forward? <laughs> it was the 29th of September. I'll never forget it. It was 9.07 and 52 seconds, and things just changed. <laughs> <laughs> so, But now when I speak, speak about phoning um, a list of people to be on the show, that's kind of how I ended up playing golf with you the other day. Yeah, there were 37 people who were unavailable. <laughs> I bet you you phoned a lot of people before you spoke to me. <laughs> I actually have to apologize to the Montrose Primary School. Uh, if, I, if memory serves, you arrived to join my four ball and your opening words at registration were hi i'm dave levinson i'm here for the single mothers oh really did i say that <laughs> there was no there was, what, so was Montrose, i'm very sorry he didn't mean that <laughs> well she did mean it but uh, i didn't mean to have him there and my apologies those again. are my actual words they okay. were indeed it was cool. a great but at opening. least i didn't say i'm there for the primary school kids because that's no that's illegal. that would have been very but i'm also as you said i'm also very lucky to be playing in the Montrose primary school golf day because they have a 120 150 meter um What's that thing called? <laughs> Restraining order. Of the, I'm not allowed yet. <laughs> but that was, that was good and they raised some money. And I, I didn't did. realize how hectic that was. They were raising money for these girls to go on a tour. Proper um, two weeks in Singapore and one in Hong Kong net, uh, netball. And they really needed, it was like 50 grand per kid. I, didn't yeah. re- I thought it was just let's raise some money. But they, they really were saying, obviously some of the kids can afford it. But the two or three that are great netball players couldn't do it. And they had the day, and they raised they raised uh, they raised enough money to send two of the kids. I think they did indeed. And that's, that's half that's course. half of what we do, isn't it? Like the most of the time I see you, we're we're doing stuff. We're we're auctioning paintings and how, when 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 was your yeah when last did you do a, a charity auction a charity gig? Uh, last night was my last charity <laughs> event for the Greek Sporting Club. Having married into a Greek family, I'm now part of the Greek community. And so I very happily joined the Corinthians, the Greek sporting club, for their annual charity sporting quiz in the heart of suburban Germiston. Oh, really? The, the Hellenic? No, that would be the Corinthians. Correct. Okay, cool. That's, so you did the, you did the quiz? You were the quiz master? I was indeed. But yeah, you're quite a, a smart guy. You probably knew all the answers. Uh, yeah, I knew, I knew some of them. It's always a great reminder of sports because people come into them and, uh, every, especially in South Africa, every South African man knows everything about sport. And then you have a sports quiz and then they realize they don't know everything about sport. <laughs> like if you ask a question about Grand Prix racing or, I, I'm doing a quiz for, um, the Catch and Buck. They have like a tournament at, at Pinnacle Point. And I just said to Mark, I said, comedy, do something different. Cause he said, no, do some comedy, make them laugh. And like they've just arrived off a plane. They're sitting there. There's 120 pros. Because it's the little the PGA, is it PGA? Would be. It would be. So it's all the club pros. They're not. They don't get time to play. They're obviously running their pro shops and still PGA pros. So they have this tournaments. And I said, no, no, we're doing a quiz. And he said, do you want to make it golf related? I said, for sure, I want to. 
I want them to see how much they really don't know about being a pro golfer. <laughs> so we are we doing a quiz. So I need to speak to you about some uh, some tips All right. on quizzing. And then hang on. So let's start from the beginning. Zimbabwe, but you're not. You're born in. I'm actually born in Northern Ireland. So that's, then it's fine. I can play the Dropkick you, Murphys. You can indeed. Okay, cool. They're probably third cousins of mine if you go back <laughs> far enough. Listen, I was born in Springs. I've bossed with my, most of my third cousins. <laughs> <laughs> and then how, from Belfast, the young laddie. Yeah, Belfast. And Nickel spelled C-H, N-I-C-H. C-H-O-L-L. From there to uh, what was then a fairly newly independent Zimbabwe. Uh, at the age of four. 71, 17? <laughs> 1982. 82. 1982. Uh, so you're a young one. I am. But you're so successful for such a young man. It's <laughs> a very nice way of saying I look a lot older than I actually am. <laughs> That's part of the, part of the Greek community now. <laughs> part of the charm. <laughs> Their food is good. It is fantastic. The actual, the photo we've got on, on the shows of you cooking, what is that? Souvla. Souvla. Yeah. Every time I wrote souvla on Twitter, it changed it to souvlaki. So Twitter, <laughs> Kind of racist towards Greek food. It kept changing. What is the difference? Uh, so souvlaki is what we would probably know as a sasati, whereas a souvla is slightly bigger. Uh, my father-in-law very kindly gave me uh, a souvla braai for Christmas last year. Uh, five very large, giant, oversized kebab sticks with an uh, engine sit on a, a motorized uh, bicycle chain. <laughs> And so generally at a South African braai, it is a group of men standing around a braai complaining about the current Springbok fly half and doing very little. Under this, Pollard. This allows you to stand around doing absolutely nothing because you've got it plugged in. It turns for There's you. There's something very Greek about that. Correct. Okay, cool. Because I was on an airplane with a guy who's on his way to some sort of econ- economics um Thing like a conference that sounds very inappropriate for a Greek. Person no, exactly. And no, he wasn't Greek, and he said he's got to go. He's going to Greece, and I said, explain to me why this the thing that's happening. He says you don't understand the day in the life of an average Greek man. He's he wakes up, has food, gets has another uh, session, then has plays dominoes, then goes to his mom's house for food, then goes to his friend's house for lunch, then has a late afternoon lunch, and then an l- early supper with his mom, then a late supper with his friends, goes to the disco club. Um, comes home at three o'clock in the morning, has another snack, and then sleeps. Says there is no time for economical things. <laughs> and he said, and that's kind of no one's saying it, but that is a, a huge problem in, in the Greek economy. Well, the Greek lifestyle is very different to the nine to five lifestyle. Which well, they haven't, they haven't a bicycle chain on their bry. <laughs> Which is a great piece of invention, I think. Yeah, I, I love going over. We try and get over to Greece uh, at least every couple of years to my wife's family village. And life is very different. You have your afternoon siesta. You eat dinner at half past ten at night. Uh, you spend a lot of time talking, debating. Uh, I generally think people are fighting and they're normally just talking about the weather. <laughs> That's the nature of emotional Greek discourse. Um, but yeah, it, it is it is very different. And you can understand without being flippant how the traditional Greek lifestyle does not gel. Doesn't suit the IMF's policies. Okay, with the high-paced Western world-imposed oh. templates of how And you, that is, that is the lifestyle you want. Like the guy said, you, you, you know, why don't you retire and then you can – like the guy standing on the beach fishing. And he says, why don't you – he says, and then do what? And then I'll retire and be fishing. He says, ah, okay, I see what you mean. So they're already living that retired lifestyle. She's yeah, kind yeah. of like a comedian, basically. <laughs> if you look at my, my wife's village in Greece, uh, there are 80, 90-year-olds, a couple of guys in their early hundreds, and it is the combination of a diet that, although oil full, uh, is good. It's very little processed food. A lot of it comes from uh, the fields surrounding where people are living, and the uh, the level of stress is very different to what you'd find in uh, a lot of the rest of the so you're not clogging your arteries with stress and the foods, as you say, that's trying to do that now with it must be natural foods. It must come from two kilometers away because it's, it's better for you. It's fresher. Yeah. Okay, cool. So then they're living to 100. I saw that those pictures of you in your in your village and I was like, damn you, Dan. <laughs> you got your own TV show now. You're traveling. But I realize now it's, it's family yeah. issues. And then you said you did a speech in half the speech for half an hour or so in, in Greek. Yeah, Probably, it, was, it probably felt like half an hour for the Greeks <laughs> who were listening to me fumble my way through their language. Was that your engagement party? I've actually done three of them. I spoke at my wedding in Greek and at the christenings of my two children. My 
parents-in-law an arranged marriage from a little village in Greece and they got married in the family church and my wife who was born in South Africa was taken back to Greece for her christening in the same church oh, okay so, so there's a nice proper tradition yeah. are you a traditional guy you haven't taken your Greek family back to Zimbabwe yet uh, I've uh, taken them to Northern Ireland I was born uh, We haven't got to Zimbabwe yet I'm sure we will But we had my daughter christened in Greece Two years ago And my son christened this year uh, So we have continued that tradition and, and the Greek culture And the Greek sense of tradition Is something that's very easy to buy into And embrace Because it's very family oriented It's very inclusive And it involves eating vast amounts Of incredibly but your family food. like that Are they quite split, split up Because Northern Ireland, Zimbabwe Your parents, your Sisters, brothers, who um, you got? Yeah, very, very close family. My, my parents aren't together anymore, but, uh, we came from a very close family, uh, very close to both of my younger sisters. Uh, one of them is a politician in Northern Ireland, yeah. which is not the first place you'd want to be a politician <laughs> if you wanted to be one at all. Uh, it makes, uh, life challenging. She's part of the Alliance Party, which is the only non-partisan party, so not, uh, Pro okay. Britain, not pro Ireland. They're but down the middle of the road, which okay. means nobody likes them. Uh, <laughs> the remaining Swiss. Ireland is uh, is pretty divided that way. And uh, the other sister lives in London. She's a teacher. Whereas with most teachers around the world, you don't make much money, but you love what you no, do. Apparently in London, like the kids are proper naughty little bastards. There's not unless yeah. she's at a, at a bit of school. I don't know. Uh, no, school. she's in a she's in a school in a reasonably rough part of town. Oh. Uh, but she loves what she does. She's incredibly patient. She's very different to her big brother in many ways. <laughs> and uh, teaching as a vocation. My father was a teacher, so it's in the family, uh, and she loves what she does. I miss I miss that family thing. As a, as a comedian, I've I've lived in Johannesburg. My mom's in Durban. My dad's somewhere in. And my sister's in Australia. So that family thing's important. I think you. You clinging onto it because it's 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 keeping it's keeping you it's keeping you going. Dan. Yeah, it's grounding you. <laughs> I mean, you're off to thank you, David. You're off to where are you tomorrow? Are you going? Yeah, fly to London tonight. Hmm. I'll be in London tomorrow uh, with my sister and her husband and my mum, who's flying over from Excellent. Belfast to see her little boy and make sure I'm brushing my teeth and taking <laughs> and my shirts, right. which mothers will continue to do no matter what age you are. Uh, spend some time with them in London tomorrow, and then Sunday I'll jump on a plane up to Edinburgh and head through to St Andrews, where I will be at the Alfred Dunhill Links Championships for uh, the better part of ten days. And what are you? Let's. We're going to talk about emceeing and your job and your things and and the the Dan Nichols show. Um, that what do you do there? Let's put that into perspective. Like a lot of people on this show, we talk about comedy pie. In other words, you don't just have to be doing stand up comedy at a club. There's, there's so many avenues for you to travel through. So you watch the guys, so you see J- uh, Jason Goliathin, they've opened a club, they keep that thing going. The other guys are doing things, there's a radio show, there's golf days, there's so many things for you to do as a comedian. And yours, call it comedy, because you are funny, you have to be, that's how you get your people going. Um, but you're, you're a professional MC. Yeah. Essentially. And, and interestingly, I think a lot of people MC events based out of another media platform. So they MC events because they're a television host or they work on radio. I've kind of gone the other way around where I spent almost a decade working largely just as an MC and a presenter. Actually, that's where, where did, that's where we met. We were either MCing an event and I was a comedian or you were, I was MCing and you were introducing I don't know where it was. It was somewhere. We did Little Angels one night in a restaurant somewhere yes, in, in Rondebosch. One of many places neither of us are ever allowed to go to again, <laughs> ever. Um, Am I that bad? <laughs> <laughs> that was, but that was also quite, it's your own initiatives. A lot of people don't realize you don't have to wait for something to happen. You said, okay, hang on, there's an orphanage. Isn't, it was an orphanage. It was indeed. You said you guys need some help and they, I think they came to you or you found out about them. So you had the little dinner in the restaurant. All the proceeds from that dinner were going to go to, to them, and then you also auctioned some items. Yeah. I think I signed something. You which did. Didn't. It remained unsold for many years. Yeah, I think we live in a fascinating country in South Africa. You, you listen to Gareth each morning as uh, people like himself, Justice, unpick where we sit as a country, and we have enormous challenges, and nobody would debate that. Whatever side of the political spectrum you come from, there are many, many things that we have to deal with going forward as a country and as people. But if you travel the world, and I'm overseas most months, we are certainly not alone in those challenges, and there are a lot of other countries that face considerably greater challenges. Um, but you also, when you travel, you are reminded of just how lucky we are to live in South Africa, but also of the gap that exists between... So how do you come about, how do you get an evening like that set up? Because there were a lot of sporting people, there were... There were 
essentially friends of yours. I mean, yeah. Uh, so just to, fi- to finish to finish that point, you, I, I think you have uh, when you come back to South Africa, you say right, I have somebody else doesn't. That's not sustainable. So without trying to sign sanctimonious, you really have an obligation if you've enjoyed a level of success in whatever your career might be to put something back. And it's a very hackneyed term. But it's something you can do, whatever level, whether it's going to visit a, a charity, which is something I get to do a lot through Laureus, my work there as an ambassador. You get to visit projects and see sports in action, helping kids, giving them some hope. Uh, or you can do things where you take advantage of your circle of acquaintance and your network, which is pretty much what I did for that event, what I've done yeah. for a number of others, where you're open, right? My mate David is one of South Africa's top comedians, uh, but he's very rarely employed, so let me haul him in for 20 minutes and <laughs> send out an email to uh, a group of mates. Don't you all want to buy a table, find a restaurant that you know, isn't too busy on a Tuesday night and can do with a, a little bit You did bit that of, for a few years, though. Yeah, I've, I've, I've done a number of events, though, isn't it? It's, it's great fun, because I think it's good karma to start with. We can all do with some that's of that. It. But I mean, that's from you. So it comes from, it's the, the point references you saying, hang on a minute, you guys need some help. I can put things together. Yeah. I think I met you through Paul Snodgrass. That's a Kate very talk. unfortunate point of <laughs> that's connection. What it was. He phoned me and said, my friend Dan, I can't make it. Can you, can you help him out with something? Well, that that's could well be the case. And I actually saw Paul yesterday in Cape Town with his beard and he's done a short film. He's also, he's also a guy who's, who's stuck it out. He says, I want to yeah. be this thing. And people said, no, you can't do it, you can't do it. And he just said, no, no, I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to work this out. And his short film has won uh, three awards now in in overseas short film categories. And, and he is one of the hardest working people in the industry. That's it. Uh, never, he, he never says no to a gig, which is something I, I want to speak to comedians that are out there. Like if someone's got a gig for you, you've got stage time, go and do it. Yeah. And I think that's something you also did when you started. Like what do you want to MC? You want to MC the Corinthians um, sports night? Are you doing anything last night? Obviously, you can. You got to be with your family, yeah. so you make those times. But do them, man. Do yeah. the gigs. That, that, that becomes increasingly difficult now. I've got a young family. My daughter's three. My son is one, sure. and you get asked to do a lot of work. Some of it is paid. Some of it is of a more philanthropic nature. And learning when to say no is a very difficult art. At the start of career, when you're young, you're single, you've got no obligations, yeah. you do yeah. anything. If yeah. uh, if the Rotary Club of Tamburskloof wants you to host their tombola evening, is there you, a Rotary Club you go and do it. I did uh, say no the other night, and it, I did feel, I felt guilty, but then I also realized there's no way I could make it to that gig and still do the stuff that I wanted to do, and I had to say no. It was Chris Forrest had a thing called Don't Burn Your Sausage. Did you have, the, have yes, you had them on your I, show? Yes, I actually went to, to watch Don't Burn My Sausage, Your Sausage. Don't Burn My Sausage. Yes. That's a very, see, in Greek you wouldn't do that because the machine would be doing exactly, it. Exactly, the Lukaniko. Yeah. How was it? How was it at the Yeah, it was a good evening. Uh, and there's another great example of being innovative where Chris innovative. and Pete, uh shared love of food. Uh, innovative. Chris, the uh, the master chef celebrity winner, Pete, one of our great chefs. Yeah. Uh, decided, well, let's do something together, and they've come up with a really interesting show. It's a unique. Well, spin. that's what we were talking about outside about com- comedians. You've got your set, and it's cool that you can do your set, and it, and you know exactly where the punchlines are, and those things work. But after three or four years, you have to come up with something new because the audiences deserve it. They're paying good money to see you do the stuff. So write something new. Get a, and that is Chris Forrest has has come up with something completely out of comedy, and also giving Pete Goff. He's funny. Yeah, he's a very funny. But man. you wouldn't call him a comedian. So it's and. Something about, we're going to talk about your show. So, sports laureates, how do you become an ambassador? Well, a huge amount of good fortune. Becoming a laureate ambassador is not an honor afforded to many people who aren't uh, current or former professional sports people. Hmm. And if I look at the list of people I said alongside, it's completely daft. It's Luis Figo and it's Ryan Giggs and it's... Um, or you've got the Academy members are sort of Boris Becker, Sean Fitzpatrick. Yeah, but also just your South African ones as well. I mean, that, that, that list there, Natalie Toy, uh, Frankie, Frankie Felix, uh, Botswana, where is he from? Namibia. Namibia. So Nambia. Nambia. <laughs> Barnett Banner, Elana Mayer, Dan Nickel, Sean Pollock, Lucas Radebe, John Robbie. Yeah. It, it's a, an incredible list, but also they're not. Sounds like one of those quiz questions. Who is the odd, odd one, one out? out in it's this John list. Robbie. <laughs> but also they, they, they know exactly what they're doing. How do you spread the word about this? You've got to have, you can't have Scott Berger talking on a radio station. Not much is going to be said. Well, I'd agree there. He's a very <laughs> funny man. He is uh, funny. He is a funny man. Cr- good cricketer. 
He was. He uh, he actually ended up at Stellenbosch University on a cricket scholarship, yes. and he was. His dad blixed him. He wasn't allowed. He wasn't allowed to play rugby in terms of his scholarship, and then he played a Cossays game, lost his scholarship, stuck with rugby, and six months later he was playing South Africa under twenty one. There you go, Cossays. <laughs> but that that is they're smart though because you as a, as your connections in Twitter, your connections in, in your show, you will talk about Loris in a, in, a, in a way that people wouldn't hear it because. It doesn't. Okay, when a sports person talks about Laurie, you go, oh, "Okay, but that's what you do." Yeah. Whereas you, you, you also picked up on a whole different thing. You went over there as an ambassador and actually worked with. I saw some pictures of you. Where were you now? Barbados. Uh, not Barbados. The most recent big Laurie event I did uh, was with uh, with Laurie in London, and then earlier this year, uh, I co-hosted the. Uh, Laureus Gala dinner before the Laureus World Sports Awards with Prince Albert in Monaco. Yeah. Um, so, hey, I almost feel a little bit guilty in that we are thanked and celebrated as being ambassadors for Laureus, and yet we get so much more out of it. Uh, we had the uh, the Laureus Summit in Mauritius. That might be the one you That's were. That's was it. I recognise the vegetation from we, my uh, Seychelles gigs. <laughs> we had uh, we had the Af, uh, the African Summit for Laureus, and Ray Knetling, who's also an ambassador, made a really good point. We'd been listening to a number of the Laureus projects, and if you don't know what Laureus is, very simply, Laureus Sport for Good Foundation, started by Johan Rupert uh, almost 20 years ago, uh, in tandem with the Laureus World Sports Awards, uses the power of sport for good, and it supports projects around the world, over 100 projects internationally that take sport and use it to address crime, youth unemployment, HIV awareness, real social issues, and it has an extraordinary impact. Well, sports and has been known to do that. That's the massive completely. attraction of sport. Uh, and and yeah, we're all sports mad in this country, so you can imagine just how powerful that, that space is. And we've been listening to a number of people talk about the projects that they're involved with that are harnessing sport. And Rake said afterwards that uh, along with his Olympic gold medal, being a Laureus ambassador is his greatest honour and that listening to these projects, That's amazing. please don't thank the ambassadors because we're the guys <laughs> who get so much out of it. And and it is the the sense of reward. I mean, I've visited uh, projects around the world. I've been to uh, a Laureus martial arts project in the Bronx in New York. Uh, I've been to a project in uh, in Northern Ireland. I've been home in Belfast. With it's true. something you would never be able to do by yourself. And as an ambassador, you go into these places and drawing... All of this experience. Yeah, and you're able to, with the help of Laureus, amplify what they're doing, spread the message, get people to understand what's happening and, and make sure that, that work is, is not just recognised but supported in communities and and taking on big challenges uh, in Northern Ireland using basketball to try and bridge the gap between Catholic and yes. Protestant, which is still a massive, massive Huge. gap. And so to watch... Laureus at work is a is a real thrill. So I'd helped out Laureus uh, in seeing a number of events for them and just assisting very very happily. With certainly no uh, ambition to become an ambassador, simply because I didn't think it was possible. I hadn't played professional sports. Who approached sport. you for that? Is that uh, your hand side of things? Uh, it was the uh, it was the Laureus office in South Africa, and I have sitting very proudly in my office. Uh, the uh, the certificate signed by Edwin Moses, who was the chairman of Laureus at the time. It's now Sean Fitzpatrick. Uh, but Edwin, who's become a good friend over the years, uh, signed that. And it, it sits there enormously proudly. He was a, he was a runner? He was a 400-meter hurdler. Uh, extraordinary. Over 100 races in a row unbeaten. Remarkable record. Um, and the the group of people that Laureus brings together, that Laureus Academy which is now chaired by Sean, and it's everybody from Boris Becker and Martina Navratilova. How do you feel when you talk to these people? Because I know some people say like it's name-dropping, but actually you've moved into a different level. Like, well, you, you know, I get to hang out with David Levinson on a Friday morning. <laughs> I, I played under-13 rugby for the C team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's something that you understand uh, after a while when you've started to work with people who are particularly high-profile is that there's a, a public persona, yes. and then when you actually meet the people, mostly, and there are exceptions, as there always will be, uh, but mostly they're just normal people. But who, you're not going to have a fangasm if you sit next to Maria Sharapova? Uh, I Probably not, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing, they trust you. Yeah. It's, I, so, it's so different having a fan run up to you at the airport and actually get into your personal space. Whereas, like, after being on your show and seeing Wade for Nikak at the airport, he kind of... we approached each other and said hey how are you doing how's things going and there was no there was no pressure to be anything else because he knows i'm not i'm not fan what would you call it fan yeah, there's no stalking all that probably would stalk maria yeah. Sharapova, but <laughs> there, there is that trust and you've got that now but now emceeing an event yeah how do you prepare for some a gala dinner at laureus 
is huge because they've had plenty. A lot of the times they'll use whichever sportsman has a speaking ability and has a story to tell. They'll MC the event. So how do you prepare for that? Because you're largely unknown as Dan Nickel, but also you have that platform. I'm, a, I'm an ambassador. So how do you prepare? Let's talk about our young comedians preparing for an event like that. I think it's it's very important to understand a few things. Uh, the first one is who am I working for this evening and what are their aims for the night? So are you trying to get across a brand message? Are you trying to raise some money? Are you trying to deliver awareness? Are you trying to make somebody in the audience or group of people feel particularly special? So understanding the nature of that evening. Uh, For the Laureus evening that we had, we were raising money for Laureus. We were celebrating the Laureus ambassadors in the room and we were celebrating the Laureus story. So it was putting all that in context, but then also giving it the approach and the touch for which you have been asked to do the evening. So adding some humor, adding some clarity. And you've got a schedule to keep to, dinners yep. at 8.05, and you've got guest speakers as well. Exactly. Okay. Then also understanding that the nature of the night. And if you're, a, if you're a young comedian, there are some nights where you're expected to be funnier and less funny. And yes. uh, you can be doing a corporate event or an event that's a very meaningful charity event where – Sometimes there's a great joke to be had, yes. but you actually hold it back. No. Um, Have you seen guys do that? Uh, inappropriate material, David? Yes. No. Tell me, tell me about the <laughs> men's health. <laughs> so uh, I think understanding your audience is very important. And also for an event like Laurie's, there are a lot of people from around the world, uh, and you have to understand the sensitivities. And, uh, for instance, there were a number of Americans in the room. And so it's a big fundraiser. It's a, a, a very high-profile platform. You're not going to be talking Donald Trump. Well, exactly, because no. yeah, there could well be that there's somebody who is uh, you know, a major supporter or major not supporter. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah, there's ways of doing these sorts of things, but it's understanding who's in that space, um, speaking to the organizer, who's here, who do we know. My advantage in a room like that is I know a lot of the guys very well. And so will you have a little anecdote about each? So if you see Skulkberger there, you see Boris Becker, you'll have a short little a little quip or a little story that you know isn't going to be offensive. You're not going to talk about Boris Becker's blacklisting. You can't get a CLC contract. You're not going to say that, for instance. <laughs> so you, you, you look at who's there and you know your relationship with people and you also know what other people's relationship is with that person. And you'll often find, and I think this works across the board uh, when you're in an MC space, very often the CEO, the chairman of the board, the the guys at the very top don't get the mickey taken out of them because everybody's also don't like scared speaking. of them. Whereas they actually quite enjoy the attention, but you've got to do it the right way. So you're not being rude, you're just taking the mickey out yeah. of them. It's uh, the gestures allowed to make fun of the, of the king. Correct. That's but exactly then the it. stuff you speak about now is, is, I wish it was, do you want to write a book or something or just write, those, those three things you've already said there. I've seen young MCs, you're MCing an event. First of all, it's not about you. You are the master of ceremonies, but that means at 8.05, you're going to eat supper. At 9.20, the dessert, and you're going to have the CEO speak. A little introduction about the CEO where you do make fun of his his shirt, if he's wearing a Mike's Kitchen shirt. It has nothing to do with his company. And he also, you find out that he likes opera, so you play opera music when he walks on. Little touches like that, and they're available to you as the MC. Have you ever had those meetings where they say, what are you going to do? You're like, well, I'm going to MC the thing. They don't understand that. It may sound simple, but really what you've spoken about is, is deep. Having that, having that conscious level of going, this is what they need me to do. I yeah. can't be doing my club comedy stuff. Yeah. This is about awareness. It's about raising money. That's what we had to do. And really, you're not Dan Nickel, the, the superstar guy. You're there to make sure that things run. But you are still the master. You're yeah. introducing Johan Rupert. You're introducing Boris Becker. Yeah. Without <laughs> but also, uh, I think you, you, know, you understand that you've been brought in to, as you say, to do that job. And so you need to make sure that when you go on, you completely understand everything that's going to be happening that evening. And it, it, I don't use a script, but I do go through things very thoroughly beforehand. So I have I know, noticed that you are very thorough. Uh, and so you're online and okay, I don't really know this brand. So. It takes 10 minutes on your phone, on Google, and you discover. And, and the little things that you can throw in, uh, you know, you did, I did a 
uh, an event uh, a couple of weeks ago for a, a corporate, and I was looking through some of the stuff they're doing, and they just received uh, a really nice plaudit from uh, a big American company uh, regarding their stock potential in America. It wasn't terribly exciting, yes. but it was a really good point to bring up because it cast that company in very good light. And so finding little things like that uh, that show that you've taken the time and also illuminate the good points of the brand that you're working with can have a, a really big impact. Well, I wish more MCs would do that. If we have, obviously, at any comedy club, there's, there's normally three acts. There'd be a middle act, an open mic act, and a headliner brought, and brought together by an MC. And there's so many times I see a young MC doing well and then it goes to their head. So they, they do an extra five minutes. We'll do an extra ten minutes. Quit um, while you're ahead. Yeah, and they they are doing well. It's great. But guess what? The show's not about you. It's time for you yep. to get that act on. And you can't be – it's such a weird balance. You can't be better than the open micer. You can't be worse than the middle act. And you must make that headline act look great. Just find that balance. Yep. So I think the main thing is, is stage time. I'm sure you have MC gigs where you're going, what the hell was I doing? Right when you started. Realizing that it's, it isn't about you or that – you missed the mark completely. Yeah. I get clients who say that, what are you going to do on this thing? I say, what do you want from this? What do you, they, when these people walk out, what do you want in their heads? And they say, oh, thanks, man. We, we'd like them to know about trust in the company, trust each other. I say, cool. And that's what we're doing. And I'm out of there. Half past nine. Okay, I normally do stay and get drunk with most of the clients. But get, sh- <laughs> well, get that, through that. That's again, then, if I, the, 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 I think that's an important part to understand that, that networking space. And, and particularly for a lot of young comedians who are very focused on the comedy. Give you a chance to sit next to the CEO. So if you are doing the flowers at the event, you are Levinson's florists. The flowers might be unbelievable as i'm sure they would be if you were doing them but the only person who's going to know that this was david doing the flowers was the head of events or the marketing Mm. director whereas you're up on stage you are marketing yourself to everybody including the guys at the very top of the food chain and you then become their friend afterwards and so i don't spend a huge amount of time at events afterwards uh, because i'm often working four or five times a night plus the tv show and full days uh but I always try and spend at least half an hour after the event turning to people, getting some feedback. Did you enjoy it? Thank you. Getting to know them a bit. Um, I have a very strict policy. I never drink when I'm working um, and uh, usually driving home afterwards. Uh, I just drink an awful lot of water because I my voice is my most important That's asset. Um, but it's, uh, there is that networking space to be used. And it's, it's understanding it um, and, you know, spending some time afterwards because people have invested some money in you and yes you can walk off stage jump in your car and go home but you'd like to have a relationship that goes a little beyond that and, and so you, you can you could get your business card there and there are other people and you you can get out exactly but i do yourself. i want that, that list of things to do one of the comedians said you know, i only realized that now we were talking to alfred adrian and i said give me a list of things that you mustn't do at mc and he said the drinking's out don't try and um shag the the event coordinator don't don't try and be and he was being serious he this said, was a very particular list for you David it was my list but he also he came up with a list of really do not do's and it, it's non-negotiable you just don't do that at, at an event and that's how you ensure that you'll have a long longer career doing these things yeah. but I also don't think people realize how lucky we are to have you here because when you mentioned the prep that goes into the Dan Nichols show so let's put Laureus aside there's not a massive amount of money in Laureus you're traveling you're going it's about the ambassadorship it's not about your it's not a financial no, game. No, you don't. Because you don't. But don't make money you get to the travel part of it and meeting people is, is, is the, the gold yeah. in it. But your show is your work and then you make money emceeing. Correct. Same as we, we're not salary workers. We don't get yeah. it. <laughs> you, you work and you hustle. And yeah. I think one of the things I admire about you is, is you hustle pro. You, you've got no – there's no stopping you. I think, I think right. you, you decided – and people don't know. How long ago did you do the pilot for – so I filmed, filmed the pilot in 2002. In Cape Town. In Cape Town. We filmed, we had a lot of fun with it. Uh, there's a guy called Riccardo Salizzo, a uh, Kiwi of uh, Italian descent, who is one of the top television producers in New Zealand. And he had a show, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, called the Lion Red Sports Cafe, <laughs> which was a very fun sports-based show. They just really enjoyed themselves. And... Ricardo hosted that show and he was the executive producer. I'd never heard of it, but Bob Skinstad had watched it a number of times. And after the 2001 Curry Cup final in Cape well, Bob Town. Bob had a show as well, same round about the same time. Uh, I think so, it was a little bit later. Good sports uh, show. But anyway, so Bob and I uh, met up after the rugby and we were talking. And I'd seen a show in Australia called The Footy Show, 
which was an Australian rules football show, and it was on a channel that didn't have rights to footage. So how do you have a show when you can't show any of the sports? It was kind of pre-YouTube as well. Correct. So it turned out it was these guys based around a, a set, and it was entirely down to their personalities. And these are guys being funny about sports, and I'd never seen that before. Growing up in rural Zimbabwe, I hadn't seen much television, granted. <laughs> uh, but even on my sojourns down to – it's sport was a very serious business. You, know, you don't laugh about sport. You, you, know, you focus about sport. We either celebrate it oh. or we shoot the coach. Uh, those are <laughs> kind of your two options. And yet here was sport I'd in watch a completely that. different space. And Bob and I got talking, and we ended up deciding, well, let's see if we can make something similar. Now, you were here. working where at the time? Is Cape Talk? I was at Cape Talk So there the is time. a studio there. There are sound. There's – there's lighting essentially, um, but you've got the microphones. You've got they have a, a little wall there. They've got a blue sc- a green screen or something. Uh, well, they wouldn't have had anything like that then. This was 2002. <laughs> um, I think Betamax was kind of the technology <laughs> of the day. Uh, so we filmed this supplementary to it, uh, and the highlight of it uh, is that Bob had business partners at the time in his Billy the Bums bar of Cornet okay. Cooker and Robbie Fleck. So we all came tests. together and we. Try to put this said, and, and we filmed a storyline for this pilot about how Rick had come from New Zealand, promised all manner of things, and then gone off with everyone's money. So it was something he could use back in New Zealand as well to justify his trip. And we What's had a he going to do with brands when he gets there? Well, they were a li- worth a little more at that stage. Uh, and we, uh, we filmed one piece in particular. Bob was then the Springbok captain, standing next to the traffic lights on the corner of Leesburg Parkway and Durban Road in Mowbray. Barefoot, shorts and t-shirt with a piece of cardboard saying no money, no job, no work, please help. <laughs> and the, we got some priceless stuff of people pulling up, giving him change. No, Bob, what's happened? Oh, man? It, was, it was brilliant. But it was it was just too far ahead of its time in mm. South Africa. Nobody knew who I was. I was doing sport on Cape Talk just out of university. Uh, and while Bob Flecky and Cornet were well-known rugby players. They weren't known it's in also the a switch business for them. space. It's a switch for them to have a comedian talk. When, if, when you've had the guys on your show, Bob Skinstead or Cornet, to have them just like breathe out and relax and say, oh, I can actually talk shit like I do around the bri, which is how we know them. When I speak to Skulk and then I hear him on, on doing a post-match interview, the guy that I spoke to at, at, our, at our picnic that we had, he's just incredibly relaxed and very funny. Yeah. And then when you see that, now I wish that, like you said, ahead of its time, to have Cornet just chill, you're in good hands. I'm Dan. I've got a schedule. We're going to talk funny stuff. Tell us that story about the change rooms. Tell us that story about the sharing the room with Mark, with Mark Andrews or whatever it is. And then that's where it comes. But like you said, way ahead of his time. Yeah. So who told you to not give up? Uh, me, really. Uh, so we've, we filmed the pilot. Eventually it got taken by Mnet but changed completely, given to three different people, uh, made into another show, which I watched once with Stuart Taylor, uh, who'd also been part of filming that pilot. Okay. And we wept into each other's shoulders. And then for the next 13 years, you just I cried. Just cried myself to sleep every night. Um, I just quietly. 13 years. People must understand that. Like yeah. so many comedians come to me and say, can I, when can I do a corporate? I'm like, I don't know how you're going to do it. I honestly don't know how I got into it. Yeah. I know it wasn't. It's, it's perseverance and it's hard work. And look, I did a lot of cool stuff in between then. I did some other TV work. Uh, and in about 2006, I, uh, quit full-time employment to my mother's dismay. What was your real day job? I was the sports editor at the iAfrica.com website yes. and uh, sports anchor on I think Cape Talk. I might have ended up in one of your columns as the second worst golfer in the world. Yeah, I think you were the third. Who was the first two? You don't know you. Tim Harris, <laughs> no, running Westgrove. <laughs> I tried to find Tim Harris. Um, and then uh, a little guy called Mark Evans, who's about three foot two and just okay. stayed in bunkers. Can you for hours please just get us a game for the three of us? I mean, <laughs> just have a shootout. I, it would be terrifying. I could never do that. Um, but yeah, so I, I went into went into MCing on a more full time basis, and then uh, uh, decided that I really did want to try and get a television show going. It was a, a dream I'd always had, and I wanted to do it on my terms. And eventually in 2014, I got together with a guy called Kelvin Watt, uh, who runs a a sports business, amongst other things, here in Johannesburg. I'd moved up here by that stage. And we filmed a pilot. And you kept kept with that name, and you called it The Dan Nichols Show. Called it The Dan Nichols Show. Faulted. Uh, We had uh, Ashwin Willemser, Pete Goffwood, and Sean Bartlett on the pilot. We filmed it in what... 
could have passed as a very low-budget high school theatre in the back end of Linden uh, on the sort of budget that you... People don't realise, like, there's no... It costs a, sh- a shitload of money to try and make this thing happen. It does. So you have to So yes, it does look a little bit short, because it is. Yeah. <laughs> so we put that together, literally no budget, filmed this, and we had various people along to come and watch the pilot, and... Luckily, in the audience was a lady called Suzanne Stevens, who is the marketing director at a company called Bright Rock. Bright Rock were very new then, like maybe a year old, two years old. What's their core business? They're a life insurance okay. company, but a life insurance, by their own admission, is not a terribly sexy space. Mm. And they've done an extraordinary job in content marketing and creating not just a, a unique product in the life Stories. insurance business, but a way to tell their story and to engage with people. And Suzanne, bless her, saw something that she thought had potential, and we uh, negotiated over the coming months, and we finally, in a, a bit of a blur, had contract signed with Sponsor and with Supersport, and I had two weeks to get the first episode of the Dan Nichols Show going. And on the 1st of April, 2015, at 8.30, a half-hour episode of the Dan Nichols Show, this time featuring... Sean Bartlett, Pete Goffwood, and Francois Pinar in the first <laughs> proper episode. Williams, he was busy that night. Uh, we had them on the show, and it was uh, it was a very nerve-wracking experience. Not the actual hosting of it, uh, but just the build-up. Uh, I saw that. My show. It was a shock to me. I saw the logo come up. Yeah. I saw you, and I noticed for the first time a nervousness in you. Yeah. Like and it it, just, and you, you are super chilled and so pro at what you do. And for the first time, I saw it as that camera went on, you kind of breathe in and yeah. well, there we fucking go. And, yeah, so and, and then, I saw you nervous for the first time. I felt, I yeah. felt this and, is and obviously big. It was. And it's, uh, yeah, it was a real pinch yourself moment because suddenly I have my own television show and it's my name and I'm the executive producer. And you, you do the research. You do the, 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 what do you call it? The, in the beginning of the show, what do they call that? The, yeah, the, the monologue kind monologue. of vibe. So you write yeah. that. Yeah. You do the research. Have you got a little uh, uh, someone who's out there Wikipedia? Yeah, I've got a great guy called uh, called Mia. He's the producer of the show. So we'll go through. I know. So for instance, this week on the show, we had Sibusiso uh, Villani, who has climbed Everest twice. He's been to the North and South Pole. He's climbed uh, the Seven Peaks on the continents. It's, extraordinary it's, it's story. difficult to get these people to commit to to a show, not because they don't want to be on the show. They just they're just very busy. Yeah, but um, we've been lucky. We're in a space now where people are. Uh, Incredible so we had uh, we had Super Caesar with Jeannie D, uh, the TV personality, and we had Chad Leclerc, the swimmer. And so I will know in a week in advance. These are the kind of things I want to talk about. This is stuff right. We know uh, Chad and his racing as Michael Phelps is massive, so I'll put that down. I know Jeannie's just done some comedy with Jason Goliath, so I'll put together a list of things. Yeah. I'll send that through to me. I say, right, this is what I want footage of, um, and uh, this will back up. And then as I write my uh, script for the evening, and it, well, it's a running order because we don't use scripts, uh, and I know right in. Uh, segment one, we're going to have a look at some of Jeannie's top billing career. And, in and when these guys cancelled the, the night before? That's the most difficult part. It is, it's, hey. it's not happening as much as it used to. And occasionally, uh, we had an example last season where Danny Kay cancelled uh, a day before because his kid had arrived yeah, early and expected uh, and wasn't well. And uh, his mum, who's a delightful, you know, is, is there any chance? I said, please, I don't want to see Danny anywhere near the show. <laughs> his kid is... Uh, and it, uh, he came in two weeks later. We had a great show. And so that's when you, know, you go into the Dave Levinson's in your phone Adapting book. And you, <laughs> you find people you know never have anything but to do. But that's over the years. Your guys trust you now. So when they yeah. get that, when I see the name, if your name comes up on my phone, I don't answer just to piss you off for the first few, few calls. <laughs> but it's, it's, I know it's going to be a fun thing. I know if I am available, I'm doing it. If I'm not available, I'll tell you this. I'm not available. Can I give you... Um, I found it like a, a young comic the other night yeah. at this place, and I'll give you that. So yeah. that trust takes 10 years it does and it's it's trust on a number of levels it's uh, it's trust in that uh, you have that friendship and that relationship but it's also the nature of the show uh we've got dave levinson on the show how did you find naked footage of me <laughs> that was really hard <laughs> uh, yeah, we're not going to show uh, uh, footage of somebody on the show uh you know, this is you falling oh. out of a nightclub at three in the morning or this is you out to dinner and that Bulls doesn't look up. like your Bulls wife yeah. the embarrassing footage will be you know, here's you as a three-year-old and what are you wearing or this is you yeah. dressed as daffy duck at a 21st you keep it what's it called watershed or prime time kind of hour that you've got yeah and we also well we, we premiere seven to eight p.m but also we have 
have eight or nine repeats across the Super Bowl platform. And you've also got the YouTube channel where you take the highlights of the show. I do. And is that allowed? Is that, is that the yeah. way? That's the nature of the Yeah. Of and it's, it's been huge for us and for our partners, for our sponsors, because it's such successful marketing. And we, we can put up a clip. We had a great clip uh, from two seasons ago with Bucky's Buerta on the show. And I asked Bucky's on the basis of a previous interview with Victor Matfield, who'd said he was never scared of anybody on the field because he always had Bucky's to protect him. Uh, uh, Bucky's, who were you scared of? And he just looked at me and he shook his head and he said, Dan, that person hasn't been born yet. <laughs> and I think that clip got a hundred thousand views on Facebook video and, and so it's, the correct it's really use cool of the word content. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with Bucky's. Um, no. and, and he was a great guest. He's got a really good sense of humor and he's got some wonderful stories and he's a very passionate man. And he was, he was one of the best guests we've had on the show. And so you're and taking that content. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have known that. Yeah. And he's a, he's a terrific personality. And so we're putting that out and the sort of feedback we're getting, the interaction, yeah. you know, the, the world of media consumption is changing dramatically. People of, of our generation more or less uh, have grown up in a, a TV space where Whereas uh, children of today, it's iPads and it's yeah. phones. So and you've it's, got to feed that. Yeah, and so you, you play off both of them. And it, it gives us a huge amount of, of supplementary exposure. Our, our sponsors, our platforms are all seeing so much more engagement because we're going beyond. And yeah, I think you're a good example. And I, I typed it in there, you know, the stuff comes up. And I was, I was shocked at the amount. And obviously you, clever as a producer, having a comedian in that mix always provides content. I mean, the guys know that from putting ads. If you if you write an ad and it's slightly okay, funny-ish, get Laz Gola in there and all of a sudden your chicken licking ad has just got that little bit of extra yeah. zinc. Um, so it's smart. It's a smart move on the producer side to get a comedian in. Yeah. So, and you've always, that's been part of your mandate. Like, no, comedian's got to yeah. be on the couch or someone involved in the funny business. Yeah. Well, it, it's, uh, it's a simple formula. It's two athletes and one non-sporting celebrity. Okay. So it's uh, quite often a comedian, but we've had celebrity yeah. chefs, we've had actors, we've had singers. And, and life outside sport. And, and those are people who are generally used to engaging with the media and do it in a fun way. But it also changes the dynamic. Your cricketer, your footballer, your rugby player are generally pretty used to being asked the same sorts mm. of questions time and, and they, again. And they're very guarded, hey? Because... They can't upset the team and they can't upset the sponsors. So when they say, how was the game? No, the game was really hard and tough and we gave 110% and we're really going to be back at practice tomorrow. And that's what they used to yeah. say. And, it, and it's, a, it's a very well-worn, cliched space oh. and it just gets trotted out. Get them out of but now suddenly zone. you're talking to a comedian or you're engaging with a singer. The nature of the conversation changes and so the questions and the content <laughs> differ entirely. You see Chad Leclerc having a little moment there sitting next to Jeannie D, just falling in love with her like everyone does when they see her. <laughs> Uh, and exa- exactly, uh, Chad will get asked time and again about his swimming career. Suddenly, he gets asked oh. or gets to interact in a in different space. It's fashion, fashion sense. And what we'll often find now, particularly as people get to know the show more, uh, the show works best for me when I can almost take half a step back and my three guests are chatting amongst themselves there like we go. old well, mates. Let's, let's, we know exactly who that was, Mark Banks. What <laughs> was then, that like? Yeah, look, I think Mark was more manageable than I was anticipating. Really? Uh, we did give him half a kilogram of Ritalin before when the show you said started. half a kilogram of, I'm glad yeah. you said Ritalin. <laughs> but it was, he was, he, out of, he is generally known for taking over. He, he will. He's been on this radio show here. You, yeah. you, you ask him one question and he's just gone. He wasn't actually too bad. We, uh, mm-hmm. in fact, no, that's being, uh, doing it himself. <laughs> he was very good. And, and we had a lot of fun. I've known Mark for a long time. Oh, pro, man. Um, so yeah, and it's just, uh, it, it just adds such a dynamic and it, it does, it puts sport into a lifestyle space, which is what we wanted to do. I, I don't as long see, as you stick with that mandate, that's the yeah. same as the MC thing. What is it that yeah. this show is? And as long as you don't deviate from that, yeah. when I switch the te- television on, I know what I'm going to get. And I, I, I've never thought of the Nan Nickel show as a sports show. It's on Super Sport, and they've been terrific partners and wonderful supporters. Over to but it's, it's, a li- it's a lifestyle show. Oh. And sport is a huge part of our lifestyle. Huge well, it's part without of our that top billing pretentiousness. Uh, most of the time <laughs> <laughs> But now comedians I mean you've had you, you now have an opening act That isn't on the show Yeah Filmed But that actually warms up the audience Who's in the audience? The audience It's part of the Part of the financial model Of the show Is that a sponsor you, you get If you take a contract show, you, Part of your thing is to get You get X number of seats Where do you film it? Uh, we film at the Stark Studios In Fontainebleau Just out uh, of Malibongue Used to be at We used, used to be, be Sport So we've now moved over and it's a very simple model. The guys come along. Uh, we have uh, some great partners, uh, Stripe Tools Beer, Nando's, uh, um, Ernie Else Wine, and they back our cocktail function. And so 
we have guys come in, they grab a beer, watch the sun go down, come in, get to be part of television, which very few people have been yes. part of, and then after the show, meet me, meet my guests, have something to the eat, have a few drinks. Golf with it sat next to you. His wife Sam was involved yeah. in the school. He, they, the thick kids go and watch the show yeah. quite regularly. Exactly, it's become like a little. He says it's the most fun. He go yeah. there, they get there about half past seven. They had three it's Nando's. Who half was, past five? Was it three Nando's? Yeah. Yep, we have Nando's after well, Nando's the show. Well, Nando's are quite a big sponsor of this vibe here as well. Yeah. So you got three Nando's, then you. What, and he says there's always, there's always fun. There's always someone that'll be, yeah. that'll surprise you. And, uh, Kurt Scoonrod just phoned me. Oh, uh, yes. Says hi. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell him to get rid of that beard. It's dreadful. It is a big beard, eh? Hey? Oh. It makes him look a hundred years old. It does. He's starting to look like Kingsley Holgate. Yes, his, <laughs> his kid is surprisingly, well, a brilliant little actor. Really? Jack has been in ads, takes direction brilliantly, um, can do the emotions, can, can be yeah. funny, can be serious, and the guy's seven years old. I'm not sure that he gets that from Kurt. Maybe from his father. It must be from his real dad. <laughs> and then who's, who's, our, our host for this show is Eric Janssen. And has he been on your show? He has moment? indeed. Um Diff, the uh, Chinese suit salesman. Uh, I'll him to show the photo of him in his uh, turquoise suit from China with Max Ching Car for his matric dance his, when he his was 24. His is, is, is. He's, he's a funny man, Eric. He's uh, he's got a there's a quirkiness to him that I really enjoy. Well, he's got an innocence to him. That's what I dig about. He, yeah, it won't last if he's working with you. No, it won't. We'll we'll break him. But now, <laughs> is it, what do they do? Is it, they got like a a mandate to warm up the audience? Yeah, so it's something I used to do, uh, but I can do without that as I'm getting ready for the show. That's right. And it's also it's a nice way to expose some up and coming talent to uh, a small but influential audience. We film that for them, so they get a little five minute pr- slickly produced package they can use as a okay. video reel. That's right, because you know it's not a payment issue. So no, you, the, we work. And uh, the young comedians, I want them to maybe con- they contact me us to do that. Yes, yeah, so you, well, you not have time to go to comedy clubs. No, we, uh, we we work with the Goliaths. So okay. Kate's great there. She supplies all Perfect. of those for okay, us, good. and they've done such wonders for comedy in South Africa. That's they, right. Well, there's only there. 104 of them left now. It's like yeah. an endangered species. <laughs> And congratulations, Jason, on your sponsored engagement. Apparently, yeah, that's the only person I know. Where, where was this? It was they at, got engaged uh, while the drifting. FFB stadium. Yeah, the Soweto Drift Academy. Brilliant. Only Jason. <laughs> well, no, Jason's also started a company now, which is he'll he'll have your engagement in a, in a strange place. Yeah. He started. You can have it there on a hot air balloon, <laughs> table mountain, Brilliant. at a drifting palace. Is well, that what they, they're called? There you go. When you get engaged, David. I'm still finding out about kids on the internet. <laughs> so, Dan, listen, we, we're going to have you back on here. And I think you, you did invite a guest with you. Dean was doing Dean, Dean yeah, Furman. Dean Furman was going to come in, unfortunately. I did all my research about Dean. Yeah. Played for Kaiser Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, Dean's a lovely, lovely kid. Unfortunately, he uh, he had his practice uh, changed. They've got a calf game this weekend. Okay. But he was going to, we were going to have an actual sportsman yeah. on. And, and some, what was amazing when I spoke to him about this, he'd actually heard of you. So, no uh, ways. I like it already. And then we were going to have Sean Bartles on. So well, I think we'll when you're back guys. from Good Luck at Dunhill, are you going to Thank be playing you. the pro-am? Uh, I'll be working. I'm running a lot of TV stuff over there, and I'm okay. filming uh, the Dan Nichols show in Scotland next okay, week. We'll send photos. Get on, on Instagram. Shane Tico Torres from Bon Jovi, Huey Lewis, Annie Els. Tico Torres sounds Nichols. like an Argentinian footballer. Uh, he's a Cuban drummer for a band called Bon Jovi. <laughs> Never so he'll be on the show next week. But listen, we have the sex show coming up, so we've got to go. We, all slip out of, we have to slip out of here. Um, thank you, Dan. Thank you. The Dan Nichols show on Mnet. What times? Uh, Super Sport One, uh, seven p.m. Super Wednesday Sport nights. One, seven p.m. Wednesday nights. Got you. Please drive safely. Enjoy the Daniel. Cheers, Dan. Cheers, Dan. I'm Dave Livingston. This has been the Just Now Comedy Podcast. Thank you, Eric, for joining us. You dumbass. And thanks, Brandon, for being a doers. This is cliffcentral.com.